Shall we pray? God, our Father, Lord, we are so grateful this morning for your wonderful love. God, you are amazing. and We do praise you today. We lift you up. We exalt you. We give thanks to your holy name. We thank you, Lord, for your great power and sovereignty. We thank you, Lord, for your gracious mercy to us. Lord, that you would send your Son to die for our sins. It is an indescribable gift, and we thank you. We are so privileged this morning to be able to gather in this place, to open up your word and to look very closely at the things which you have said to us. We pray, Father, that you would impress it upon our hearts. Write it upon our minds, O God. And, Lord, cause us to treasure these words that you have given us. Transform our minds, Lord, as we consider your holy word. Now, Lord, we ask that you would change us and make us like your dear son, Jesus. Lord, we want to be like Jesus. And so we ask you, dear God, to change us, to transform us and make us like him. We do stand upon your promise that that is indeed the good work you are doing in us, which you will bring to completion. We honor you this day. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. (coughs) So this morning we're back in our study of Ephesians. And uh, to get our context this morning, I'm going to read chapter 4, verse 17 through the end of chapter 4, verse 32. Ephesians 4, 17 and following. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught him just as truth is in Jesus. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside all falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, 
just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Amen? Amen. Wow. That's some practical instruction, would you say? You know, we're getting into this latter half of the book, and there's a lot of practical instruction that's given. And indeed, uh, the apostle just just about addresses every single issue of life as we go through these pages. Ephesians 4 through 6, chapters 4 through 6. And just by way of review, I want to remind you the things which we just recently looked at, starting in verse 17 through verse 19. And again, Paul was pointing out the depravity of man. And he was speaking about the Gentiles. And they're, uh, the, the, uh, of course, the Ephesians are mostly Gentile Christians who were converted uh, in Paul's missionary journeys. And um, as he begins to, uh, as, you, as you well know, in the book of Ephesians, Paul continues to remind us about the nature of man. And uh, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, he talks about that we were dead in transgressions and sins and uh, that uh, we were following after the, the flesh and, and uh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, that we were walking after the prince of the power of the air. And he describes our, our state of being dead in transgressions and sins. And then also <clears throat> in uh, chapter 2, verses 13 and following, uh, Paul was talking about uh, the fact that the Gentiles were separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, and that they were formerly far off from God. You remember that uh, illustration of the temple and how the Gentiles were very far away from the temple of God and that they were considered to be far off from the presence of God. And, of course, as Paul keeps describing this former nature of man, and that we Gentiles were all formerly far off. We were separate. We were without God and without hope in the world. And um, then he goes on, and and, uh, right before he begins this great discussion of our practical life, He again reminds us about our former state in chapters 4, verses 17 and following. And and basically, what I wanted you to see there, as you look at these verses, chapter 4, verses 17 through 19, he's describing the Gentiles. But he uses words that describe the way they are rather than the things they do. Although he does discuss the things they do, he is really talking about their thinking patterns. And he talks about the fact that they, they are futile in their thinking. There is a futility in the thinking of a Gentile, of someone who is unsaved. That they're darkened, he says, in their understanding. Right? And then also that they're ignorant. And that furthermore, they've become callous or insensitive to sin morally insensitive. And so you see how he's kind of describing their state of being, their state of mind, their state of thinking. Because you see, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart and in his mind, so does he live. 
You live out the things that you think about. Your mind controls the way you live. Your mind controls the things you do. Your mind controls the things you say. And so it is with an unregenerate person. Their thinking is futile. It's useless. It's all focused on self. And their, dark, their, their understanding is darkened. And you remember this is a term that describes the absence of light. And we talked about light being that which causes the eye to see. And the Gentile is darkened in his understanding. He doesn't have the light of the truth. He has not had the revelation of regeneration. He doesn't understand sin and righteousness and judgment. He hasn't had that revelatory work by the Spirit of God. And so he's darkened in his understanding. He doesn't even understand the purpose of his life. Okay? An unregenerate person is darkened in their understanding, and their thinking is futile. And Paul also says, ignorance. He says, don't walk as the Gentiles walk, or don't live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Here's how we used to be ignorant of God. We go through life ignoring God. That is, the unregenerate person does. The natural man goes through his life ignoring God. And because of that, it says here that he's excluded from the life of God. In other words, in the day that you ignore me and you eat of that fruit, ye shall surely die. And because we have eaten of that fruit, each one of us, right? We are excluded from the life of God. We're destined for death. In our natural state, we are what? Dead in our transgressions and sins, right? So he's describing this old man. He's describing this unregenerate person. He's describing this... uh, old man of sin who he says we are to no longer live like him we're no longer to walk like him because he's futile in his thinking he's darkened in his understanding he's ignorant of God and listen to this he has become calloused having giving himself over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness and here you see the The flesh unrestrained. And all you have to do is look around in our culture to see it. Given over to sensuality. To pursue every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. The flesh is never fulfilled. And neither are the flames of hell. Constantly consuming. Never ending where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. That's what the flesh is like. It never gets its fill of sin. it's, It's with greediness for sin. It's with greediness for impurity. It's with greediness for sensuality. And that's what the natural man has become. He's become callous. He's become morally insensitive. These words mean to throw off any sense of shame. 
Now he openly sins with no sense of shame. It's amazing to see the way the conscience is vanishing in America. It's amazing to see what happens to man when he's left to his own. But you did not learn Christ this way. Amen? And so Paul starts in with the great contrast of the old self and the new self. Right? And so having given us such an apt description of the old man that he, that he is naturally pursuing his evil thinking. Right? He begins to draw the contrast from that to show us the new man, the new creation which is in Christ. Right? And he describes the old man and then he describes the new man and then he's going to tell us very specifically and practically for the rest of the book how the new man is to live. And he's going to keep drawing these contrasts. You know, Paul is such a great teacher. One of the things that he uses, which I think is just so effective, which has really become clear to me here, is this. He uses these contrasts to show the, the importance of matters and of concepts and of principles. And like here, he's just given us this description of the old man and all of his thinking, and then he's going to describe the new man. So you see the great contrast between the old man and the new man. And then as he goes on through, through uh, this discussion, you know, if you look, for instance, at verse, uh, <clears throat> at verse 28, look what he says. He says, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather, what? Work. Work. Performing work with his own hands so that he will have something to share. You see the contrast? Don't steal. Instead, work and share. Right? Look at the next verse. What does he say? He says, don't let any unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but rather, what? Only that which edifies. You see the contrast? Don't speak evil. Instead, edify. Right? And he just goes through using one contrast after the other uh, in explaining to us how we are to live, how we are to practice. You remember the book of Ephesians is broken into two sections. The first section is our position in Christ. It's that spiritual reality. It's describing who we are in the Lord Jesus and all of the riches of God's grace that have been afforded to us in Christ. But then in chapters 4 through 6, he becomes very practical and he begins to tell us exactly how to live. And so here we are in this section, and this is what Paul is doing. He's drawing these contrasts. And he says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. You must no longer do this if you're a Christian. You've got to change. There's got to be a transformation. Amen? You've got to go from that old man to that new man. And then he describes what he's like, and look what he says. He says, But you did not learn Christ in this way. That's not how you learned Christ. You didn't learn Christ in the futility of thinking. You didn't learn Christ in useless, selfish thinking. Instead, you learned the Lord Jesus, whose thinking is constantly edifying, constantly useful, constantly focused on others, constantly of benefit. Amen? Constantly selfless and loving 
That's how we learn Christ. Not futile in our thinking. And certainly we weren't darkened in our understanding when we learned Christ. What did we learn? Well, he's the light of the world. He came to us and brought us the light of truth. And now we see and understand sin and righteousness and judgment. Now we know God because he has come and been manifest and walked among us. Amen? And we didn't learn Jesus like a futile, darkened Gentile. Instead, we learned about God, holy God, God who is light. Amen? Amen. And he's brought light to our eyes. We did not learn Christ this way. If indeed you have heard of him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. Kind of implying, again, you can learn things about Jesus that may not be in accordance with truth. Amen? He says, if indeed you've learned about the truth that is in Jesus. Amen? And so he gives us this statement. You did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus. Remember we talked about the very nature of the faith is didactic. We're being taught. We are learning of Christ. And which one of us hasn't had our whole life turned upside down by the things we've learned about Christ? And and what a new way of life it is. And how that Spirit of God is zealously desires righteousness and how that's burning in our bones. Amen? If indeed you were taught in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Amen? If indeed you were born again, born anew, and if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have what? Passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Amen? We're a new creature in Christ. We were formerly given to impurity and sensuality, having hard hearts toward God until we learned of Christ. When we came to know Christ, we were given the light of truth and our eyes were opened and we are no longer in darkness. That is to say, our understanding has been enlightened to the moral purity of Christ and His kingdom. Amen? Our eyes have been opened. And now we see what the big deal about sin is. Amen? Amen? Now we understand about the moral purity of Christ. He is holy. He's pure. He's undefiled. He's glorious in righteousness. Amen? Amen. That's the Jesus that we learned about. Amen? What a contrast from the world around him. You see that? There is a moral purity in Christ that sets him apart from the world. This learning of Christ was in stark contrast to the Gentile way of life. If you have been taught the truth that is in Jesus, you see that the great contrast of holiness and moral purity which separates God from an unholy world of sinners. That revelation of the truth that came to you at regeneration made very clear to you the great contrast of a holy God from a sinful world. Amen? And when you read the law of God, having been regenerate, you began to understand why God has given great commandments which are to be fully obeyed against moral impurity, against every kind of impurity. 
Amen? Because it's not consistent with Him. It's consistent with rebellion against God. <coughs> right? The world has gone astray, each one to his own way. Right? They've turned their backs on God. They've become ignorant of God. Amen? And their foolish hearts are darkened. Remember the scriptures we read from Romans 1 last week. Very powerful, describing the, the darkness of the thinking and the life and the living of the Gentile world. But we did not learn Christ that way. In fact, the command of the gospel of Jesus Christ is first and foremost one of repentance from our former life of sin and a calling to the practice of a holy life which is consistent with the moral purity of God. That is the command of the gospel. If someone comes to give you the gospel, what is the message? Well, you know, the day Jesus started his preaching ministry, the first word out of his mouth was, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And the apostles went about preaching the same gospel. Paul says, I preach that they should repent, Acts 26, and that they should prove their repentance by their deeds. That was Paul's gospel. Right? He says in Acts 17, for God is calling all men everywhere to repent. For he has fixed a day when he will judge the world in righteousness through the man whom he has appointed. And he's given proof of this fact by raising him from the dead. Amen? God is calling all men everywhere to what? Repent. This is the command of the gospel. It is a repentance from sin. It is turning away from sin and turning unto God and pursuing God and pursuing His moral purity and pursuing His righteous holy acts. It is turning our back on our wicked, unholy, impure, sensual acts and turning unto God and pursuing His moral purity. That's the command of the Gospel. And we are to what? Prove our repentance by our deeds. Amen? Not that our deeds earn us favor with God. We could never do that, right? Because when we sinned one time, we utterly violated the holiness of God. And the wages of sin is death. We needed a sacrificial lamb to pay that penalty, friends. Right? But if indeed we've received the sacrifice of Christ and we have acknowledged His moral purity, then we have turned our back on our sins and have turned our face toward the face of Jesus who is holy and pure and righteous and clean and undefiled and glorious and kind and loving and gentle. Amen? And wise and joyful. He's the Prince of Peace. Amen. Great contrast from our former way of life. This is the command of the gospel that we turn away from our sins and we turn unto Christ. 
And we begin to perform deeds of righteousness in exchange for our evil deeds. Amen? And that's proof, friends, that we've been born again. Amen? James says, I'll show you my faith by my deeds. Amen? In fact, faith without works is the dead kind of faith that doesn't save a man. Amen? But the truth that is in Jesus changes our practice, even as it changes our nature. Would you agree? Certainly it's clear from the scripture. Titus 2, 11 and 12 puts it this way. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. You see that? The grace of God has appeared, and what is it doing? It's teaching us. Right? The grace of God has appeared and is teaching us. Remember I was telling you, Jesus came teaching. And what was he teaching? Well, sit down on the Sermon of the Mount with him and listen for just a few minutes. He's talking about the moral purity of God. He's talking about the righteous, holy standard of God. And he's saying, you have heard it said like this, but I tell you, Rather, the standard is supreme. Amen? And he goes on for three chapters there, describing the moral purity of God, describing that heavenward call that we have in Christ. Amen? And here he says that the grace of God is instructing us to what? Deny ungodliness and worldly desires. Kind of sounds like Jesus' call to be a disciple, right? And he says, if anyone would come after me, let him what? Deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me, right? And whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. Whoever loses his life of ungodly desires and worldly desires Let him deny that self which is being corrupted with the lusts of deceit, it says here in Ephesians. Right? To deny ungodliness. The grace of God instructs us to put these things away and to what? To put on the new man, which does what here? Lives righteously and godly in this present age. You see the contrast there in Titus? Amen? That's the command of the gospel. And here in Ephesians, Paul is explaining it in great detail. He says, you didn't learn Christ in that way, right? Look what he says. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. He says, here's the way you learn Jesus. To put off the old self, right? To lay aside the old self. In Christ We are to lay aside the old self. That is to say, to no longer live like we did before we were saved. 
If you've become a Christian friend, there should be a stark contrast in your life now from the way your life was. And if you don't see that contrast, it's likely that you're not saved. Because when we learn in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, we are instructed to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live righteously and godly in this present age. Amen? There is to be a contrast of our life. Our life is no longer futile and darkened and calloused and ignorant of God. But now we are putting that old man off and the new man is living. That is, if we are in Christ. There should be a stark contrast in our living now that we have come to Christ. As he has explained it, it is the life of sin and moral impurity which we are to put off, which is corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. The life of sin is very deceptive. It promises freedom and happiness, but leads to death, despair, and corruption. It is these formerly sinful habits of living which the Christian is now to put to death by the Spirit. Okay? And here he says, we were to lay aside the old self. We're to put that old man to death. And if you will, our Christian practice is made up of two acts. Okay? And we'll call those the put on and the put off. Right? I'm sorry, the put off and the put on. We better get the, we better get the horse before the cart. <laughs> right? you got to put off the old man so the new man can live. Amen? And this is your part. This is your part in sanctification. It is to cooperate with God by willingly putting the old man to death and willingly let the new man reign. Amen? And we can only do that by the power of God. We can only do that as we surrender to the will of God in our life. We can only do that as our mind is being renewed by the word of God and transformed. Amen? As he goes on to tell us here. But <clears throat> we, we must put this old man to death. Uh, look at Romans 8, 12 through 15. There he says, So then, brethren, we are under obligation, but not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Amen? Look what Paul says. He says, we are under obligation. We are obliged unto God to do what? To put to death the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit. Because that's what we learned when we came to Christ. Amen? That was the first word of the gospel. Repent, which means to what? To put to death the deeds of the flesh. To turn our back on sin. Right? And to begin to pursue Christ and fulfill His righteous deeds. And to walk in his righteous steps. Amen? To put to death the deeds of the flesh is, is to say repentance. 
Amen? It's something that must happen moment by moment. Jerry, were you going to comment? Yeah, I was going to say repentance also means to change your mind. Okay. So it's very much a thinking process, right. isn't it? That, that would be the, the, the first step in repentance is changing your mind about sin. Amen. And then through the power of the Holy Spirit, he helps you implement change. Amen. So you've got, and that implies that we've got to have the knowledge of God. Amen. We've got to be able to consider and think what is the will of God. You know, like it says in Romans 12 too. Uh, do not conform to this world any longer, but be ye transformed, right, by the renewing of the mind. And then you will be able to what? Discern what is God's good and pleasing and perfect will. Right? You've got to have that knowledge, that discernment of what is true and righteous and holy and good and what is evil and wicked and damnable. And when you have that knowledge, then you have that mind of Christ that is living in you that then causes you to change the mind, to be renewed in the mind, to think according to the mind of Christ so that you may what? Live it out, practice it, and do it, and be ye doers of the word. Amen? So it very much starts as a cognitive process. You must be thinking like Christ if you're going to live like Christ, which means you must know how Christ thinks. Amen? And this is that growing in the knowledge of the Son of God that we were reading about back in verse 12 and 13. Right? This is that growing in the unity of the faith that we were talking about back there. It's growing in this knowledge, in this understanding. And uh, look also then at Colossians 3, 5 through 10. Look what he says there. He says, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead, to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is account of, on account of these things that the wrath of God will come. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Amen? We've laid aside the old self. The old self was crucified with Christ. Right? I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Amen? But Christ lives in me. Amen? The old self has been crucified. It's a done deal. When we were dunked in the waters of baptism, what happened? That old man was buried. He was dead. And we're no longer slaves to sin. We've been set free. Amen? Sin no longer, Romans 6, has dominion over us. Because we are new creatures in Christ Jesus. The nature of God is living in us. I just want to say that unbelievers, and we were all in this boat, they're brainwashed. 
They're brainwashed. They're dead to sin. I mean, they're not offended by sin. They have their different standards, of course, because, you know, they always have a curve where, you know, as long as you're not a murderer or a rapist, you know, a really bad person, then you're okay. But they're brainwashed to sin, and they're, they don't understand the condition that they're in, because if they don't change, if they don't repent, if they don't believe in the gospel, they're going to uh, be condemned, and they're going to perish in hell. And they're brainwashed, and the devil spends a lot of his time keeping people brainwashed. And that's why when we come to the Lord, we have to be reprogrammed in, in our mind. We have to start thinking according to God's ways. And that's why the Bible, you see this distinct comparison between the thinking of the lost and the way that we should think as new people in Christ. Amen. I mean, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says that Satan has the minds of the people of the world blinded to the glory of Christ. Amen. They cannot see it. Mm-hmm. They do not know their condition. And then what happens is, if their conscience completely dies, they'll never be saved. Because the conscience is what God uses to trigger repentance. Your conscience will speak against you that you're a terrible sinner. Even if you're just a liar, a thief, or whatever, your, your consciousness is what God uses to convince you and to convict you. And if your conscience dies, then you'll never be saved. Yes. And, and that's why when Sean said earlier that the consciousness of America is slowly dying, and for individual people that their conscience has been seared and deadened, Man, that's a terrible state to be in. And in fact, the, the, the unregenerate sinner does abide in death. Amen. He is dead in his transgressions and sins. And he is calloused toward the purity of God. Indeed, his, his understanding is darkened. He does abide in that state of death. Amen? Which is why the miracle of regeneration is required for salvation. Lest a man be born again, he can't even see the kingdom of God. Right? He needs that light of regeneration to come in and renew his thinking so that he can even understand the things of God. Amen. Right? As we've talked about many times, the natural inability of man. And how, how, uh, how clear this is. You know, I wanted to quote one more time Romans 1, 28 through 32. And you need to see this contrast. He says... Romans 1.28, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness and wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, Insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but give hearty approval to those who practice them. You see, they know the righteous ordinance of God, but they don't believe it. 
And they don't have the kind of faith that saves the kind of faith that God grants. Okay? And there, you can see in that passage where God turns them over to that kind of mind. Mm-hmm. It's like they cross a line. Mm-hmm. They, they have become calloused. Listen, the unregenerate man is ignorant of God. He's not concerned with the judgment of God. He ignores God in everything that he does. And God gives him over to what? To sensuality, to practice every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. All you got to do is open your eyes and look around. The world is full of it. It's unbelievable. It's, it's safe to say the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Yep. Yep. While it shakes its fist at a holy God, not realizing that God is the one who gives him another breath. Amen? Many of you are close to people who live like that and who think like that. And that's painful. So you need to give them the light of the truth that is in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Because God forgives sins. Amen. He's a gracious and a merciful God. Showing loving kindness to thousands who fear Him and trust in Him. Amen? Amen. Forgiving sin and rebellion and wickedness. That's who God is. He's a forgiving God. A gracious and a merciful God. Amen? We need to tell Him that. Look what He says here though. He says that in reference to our former manner of life, we were to lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. And look what he says. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Okay? Just like the Gentile used to think like a sinner in a futile thinking, in darkened understanding, in ignorance of God, and with calloused hearts that cast off shame. We are to think like the new man. And there should be a great contrast in our thinking. We are to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. In the contrast which Paul is drawing between the former life of depravity and the new life of holiness, he has focused primarily on the thinking pattern of the old man of sin. The Gentile, apart from God, is futile, darkened, ignorant, and calloused in his thinking. Now he shows the contrast of the thinking pattern of the new man of holiness. He is to think like a new man, to be renewed in his mind with the new righteousness of God, which has, he, which has become his in Christ. You see, now that we've been made a new man and we've been given a new nature, we have got to begin to think like a new man. We can no longer think like we used to think. With a darkened understanding. We can no longer think in a useless manner that's all focused on self. Never giving any benefit for anyone else. We no longer live our life for ourselves. 2 Corinthians 5.14 But we live for Him who died for us. Amen? The old man died. He's been crucified with Christ and he no longer lives. But Christ lives in us. Amen? We're a new man. We're a new creature. And we must have new 
thinking. We must be renewed in the, in the thinking of our mind. This is the key to spiritual transformation. When you begin to think like Christ, you will begin to live like Christ. When you begin to think about how to respond to the different circumstances of your day, like Christ thinks and responds to the circumstances of your day, then you will have everything you need to operate and practice and live like a Christian. You know, in 2 Peter it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our what? Through our knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and goodness. We've got to be transformed in our mind with the knowledge of God. We've got to be able to discern what is the good and pleasing and excellent will of the Lord. Here in Ephesians, He's going to tell us, don't be ignorant of what the will of the Lord is. Right? We've got to know what it means to think like Christ. We've got to know how Christ thinks so that we can implement it. And this won't happen until we're renewed in our mind. We are to be renewed in our thinking, having our minds transformed by the Word of God. And I want to tell you, this is accomplished by the basic disciplines of Christian life. Here they are. You ready? Daily meditation on the Word of God. Daily prayer. And fellowship with the saints. We've got to learn to live like a Christian. You know that blessed man in Psalm 1? Blessed is the man who does not stand in the way of sinners, right? Or sit in the seat of mockers, right? But his delight is what? In the law of the Lord. And on his law doth he meditate both day and night. Right? That righteous man meditates on the Word of God day and night. You know what's going to happen to him? He's going to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water which brings forth its root, its fruit in, in due season. It's going to be like a well-watered tree, an oak of righteousness. How does he get that way? By daily meditation on the Word of God. Because it's his delight. He loves the word of God. He desires the word of God more than his necessary food. That is a blessed man who bears fruit. And whatsoever he does, it prospers. And his leaves do not wither. Amen? Amen. That man that meditates on the word of God, he is renewed in his thinking. He thinks like Christ thinks. He has put on the mind of Christ. Therefore, he lives out the Christian life. Amen? That's what it's all about, friends. We have got to get the Word of God into our minds. And we've got to get our minds into the Word of God. Amen? Amen? I'm telling you, that's where the life flows out from. This is the faucet where the life flows out from. And listen, the Spirit of God is in you and He quickens it to your soul and to your mind. And He does that completing work that this Word does in us. You know, if you never pick up your Bible and you don't read your Bible, what are you thinking? Are you just walking around being guided by your your own flesh? 
which is walking in accordance with the lusts of deceit? You know, you, you feed your spirit one cold snack a week. What's your spiritual life going to look like? Right? You're going to be miserable. You're going to be anemic. You're going to be thirsty and hungry, going around weak. Sin will be dominating your life. you got to get into the Word of God. Amen? You know, you're a parent. You know what you need to do? You need to get your Bible out with your kids and open it up and read it. Amen. Day and night, you got to write it on your gates, write it on your doors. Find it as a front lip before your eyes. Tie it around your wrist. Make a big deal about the Word of God. Plant that Word of God in the mind of your kids. You know what they'll be? They'll be an oak of righteousness which brings forth its fruit in its season. Amen? It's, it's all flowing out of the Word of God, friends. You know, Christian fellowship, what do we do? What do, what do Christians do when they get together? Eat. <laughs> <laughs> they do. They, 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 they eat. They eat natural food and spiritual food. And what is that spiritual food? It's Christ. We get together and we have holy, <coughs> mystic, sweet communion. What do we do? We glory in Christ Jesus and place no confidence in our flesh. Amen? And we get together as Christians and we encourage one another. And we build one another up. And we pray for one another. And we serve one another. And we love one another. And we do all those things that Christ would do for one another. Amen? And friends, it's so necessary. You can't be an island to yourself. You're going to die on the vine, man. If you're even on the vine. You've been called into a holy family. You're members together with the body of Christ. You have a vital gift that needs to be to find its proper working in the body. Amen? And you've got to stay connected to God in prayer. You gotta get on your knees. You gotta cry out to God. I'm not suggesting you have to get on your knees to pray, but that's a very good disposition, <laughs> right? Humility. Humility. Bowing before the Master, the King, saying, "God, help me. God, I'm so sorry for my sin. God, I hate my sin. God, please change me. Make me new." Transform my mind. Give me a clean heart, God. Give me a pure mind. Give me clean hands, God. You see, He's the source. He is a living word. His name is Jesus. Amen? You with me? Basic disciplines. Daily meditation on the word. Prayer. And Christian fellowship. We've got to be involved with that constantly, continually, day after day after day. And then what's going to happen? The saints are going to get equipped, right? They're going to do the work of the ministry. The body's going to be built up in the knowledge of the Son of God and the unity of the faith. And we're going to become a what? A mature man to the stature of the fullness of the measure of Christ. Amen? And then we won't, we'll no longer be children. 
will no longer be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that blows through the church. Instead, as each part does its work in love, the body will be built up. And then we're going to live in the fruit of the Spirit. And our life is going to be so blessed. We're going to have... We're going to have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control and faithfulness and compassion and humility and all those glorious attributes of God. We're going to partake of that fruit. And our soul is going to be fulfilled. And we're going to be the family of God. We're going to be the children of God. We can no longer live like the Gentiles. We're not Gentile sinners any longer. We're holy children of God. Amen? The life of God is living in our soul. We are a new creature, and we have the nature of God implanted in our soul. We've got to live like Christ. We've got to be like Christ. We've got to keep striving. It's a war. It's a battle. We're battling spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Amen? God has a purpose in transforming us into Christ. We must cooperate with him. We've got to let that word come in and renew our mind and transform us. And we've got to put that old man off and put that new man on. Amen? That's who we are. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. And we can no longer live after the old things. Amen? Amen. The Christian is to be transformed by the renewing of his mind and to continually seek to put on Christ in his practice. We live out or practice our thinking patterns, as the Proverbs say. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Let me tell you, if what you're thinking in your heart is, I can't wait to serve my brother. I can't wait to love my sister. I can't wait to show mercy. I'm looking for an opportunity to bless somebody. I'm consumed with the love of God. And you hate strife and you hate anger and you hate malice. And so you want peace in your house. And you hate misery and displeasure. So you want to be joyful. So you cry out to God. God, give me your joy. You start thinking and setting your minds on these things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And you clothe yourselves with humility and compassion and gentleness and patience, forbearing and forgiving one another just as God and Christ has forgiven you. Amen? And you let the word of God dwell richly in you. As you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and admonish and teach one another with all wisdom. Amen? That's what the Christian life is all about, friends. It's about taking on the character of Christ. Colossians 3, 9 and 10, he says, Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. You've got that new self and it is being renewed. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, Therefore we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Amen? 
There's a new man in there. And he's never going to die. She's never going to die. Because she's been created in the likeness of God. In righteousness and holiness of the truth. And it's an incorruptible seed which shall not perish. That new man is a man who lives. And the old man has been crucified with Christ. And he no longer lives. He's a dead man. That's why he says in Romans, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Amen? Got to put that old man to death. I was going to say uh, at Easter, you know, when we we think about the, uh, the passion of Christ and his crucifixion and his resurrection, I always think about my own crucifixion because I was crucified with Christ at that time. And then when he was resurrected, I think about the new life that he has given me because when he was resurrected, we were resurrected and we were given a new life. And so, you know, the work of Christ is our work by inheritance. We're crucified with Christ and we're resurrected with him to new life. And, you know, we, we very seldom think about our death and our resurrection because we do get a new beginning when we come to Christ. And we have to be crucified with him so that the old man will be dead and killed off. And then we're resurrected with Christ. We're resurrected with Christ to a new life. Amen. That's exactly what the scripture says. Look with me, and we'll end here. Romans 6, 4 through 7. He says, Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. You see what he's saying? He's saying the old man was put to death for the purpose of us walking or living in newness of life. Friends, we have a purpose. We're no longer aimlessly walking into the lake of fire. (laughs) Now we have a purpose for life. Amen? We're being fashioned in the likeness of Christ. We're walking in that newness of life, which is ours in Christ. We've been made new. We can no longer have anger and malice and strife and deceit and envy and immorality. All those things have to be put off. We can't live like that. That old man died. He's been put to death. Let him die. Put him to death. It's so painful. Who wants a home full of anger and strife? Isn't it miserable enough yet? I trust that it is. If you've tasted the goodness of the Lord. Amen? And you have that new creation is your very nature. The life of God is in you, which is created in in righteousness and in holiness of the truth. You know, let me tell you something. Regeneration is no small thing. You have been changed if you are in Christ. The nature of God 
The life of God has been implanted in your soul. This is a serious matter, friends. We've got to give ourselves completely to this newness of life. That old man, he's got to die. Let that new man live. Because God's going to have his way if you're in Christ. And you can go willingly, like some I've read about, like Joseph or Daniel or Job or Jesus. Right? Or you can go like Jonah. But you're going to get to Nineveh. That is, if God has called you. Amen? I don't know about you, but I, I want to go like Jesus. I want to go on the obedient path of blessing. I want to be that son that the Father is so pleased in. All he does is pour out his blessing on that son. You have an obedient child and a, and a, a more disobedient child. Any of you parents? <laughs> you know, it's. It, you ever notice that desire to want to bless that obedient child? You're such a good child. I love you. What can I do to bless you? Right? And that, that disobedient child is like a burr under your saddle. <laughs> right? You with me? <laughs> I tell you. I tell you. I want to be that obedient son. Not, not that we're never going to suffer. Listen, we're, we're going to learn obedience through the things we suffer. Okay? But I want to tell you, obedience is the path of blessedness. Obedience is the path of righteousness and God's blessing. Jesus put it this way. He said, blessed is the man who hears the word of God and obeys it. Luke 11.28. Okay? Friends, the scripture is very clearly calling us to a new life. And I want to ask you today, is this your chief goal? Is this your chief end right here to glorify God and walk in that newness of life? I'm sure it is. And I hope you're encouraged today to do that. Amen? Shall we pray? God, our Father, Lord, we are so thankful for this good word that you've given to us in Ephesians. Dear God, it is so glorious. I pray that you would impress it upon our hearts, Father. And Lord, I pray that you would just stir up in us a hunger like never before for your holy word, God. May we feed on it day and night, Lord. May it be our great delight. Lord, may we love your word and may we have great peace. We thank you, Lord, for all of the good work that you're doing in us. Please, God, change us. Help us to put that old man to death, dear God. And we ask, Lord, that you would be glorified in everything that we think, everything that we say, and everything that we do. We love you and we bless your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah.